We're in Acts chapter 10. I'll read the first 23 verses. Hear the perfect word of our perfect God. Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household. He gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa, send for a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants, a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. When he became hungry and was desiring to eat, but they were making preparations, he fell into a trance and he saw the sky open and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. There were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. A voice came to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. And again, a voice came to him a second time, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, the man who had been sent from Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. But get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without any misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one that you are looking for. What, are the, what is the reason for which you have come? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and a God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So he invited them in and gave them lodging. God's word. Let's pray. Lord God, you are God and we are not. Um, We pray, gracious God, that you would have mercy upon me as the spokesman, the herald, and that the words of my um, mouth and the thoughts of my heart would be pleasing, maybe according to your scripture, and that Holy Spirit, that this sermon would be applied by you as only you can do it. For those who have not found mercy in Christ, may today be the day of their salvation. For those of us who have, may today be the day of our increased sanctification. Glorify thy name in all the earth. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. What we're looking at today, I probably would change the... I pick the... I picked the title early on in my work process. I'd probably change the title to Gentile Salvation or Gentile Inclusion or something like that. I'm going to look at this. It's kind of a historical narrative passage, so I'm going to preach it kind of thematically, spend a good bit of my time on as we get into the body of the sermon dealing with Cornelius, 
and then we'll bring in more of Peter if we have a next week's sermon. Uh, but I'm going to treat just first in kind of a macro view uh, the main themes that we're looking at and then descend to some of the particulars concerning um, Cornelius. But as I say, what we're looking at generally, doctrinally, is the preparation of the conversion of the Gentiles to Jesus Christ. Gen- Cornelius would just be a species of that. And related to that is the preparation for the reception and ambition of Gentiles into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Gentiles coming to Jesus Christ for salvation, and then Gentiles being included in the church of Jesus Christ. Heretofore, the better part of the church was Jewish. Christ is a Jew after the flesh. All the uh, apostles were Jews. The other church, all Jews. And now what we are... Remember remember the book of Acts. And it's you, you almost have that same idea restated in every chapter. The book of Acts generally is about the advance of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's what it, the Acts of the Apostles is all about. And then if I could kind of back up to the conclusion of Matthew, what that is, is the carrying out of the Great Commission. If I were to do a sword drill right now and say, what is the Great Commission? Tell me what it is and where it's found. I hope everybody in this room that's older than five would say it's found in Matthew's Gospel. What is it, 28, 18 through 20? That Jesus, after he's, after he's risen from the dead... Before he is ascended to the right hand of the Father, he tells his guys, go out to all the world and make disciples of all the nations, <clears throat> teaching them all that I've taught you to do and baptizing them and all of those things, but go everywhere to the four corners of the earth. And that's what this is, that's what's going on. And that's what Cornelius will stand as an example of, that that gospel command to go out and preach to everyone is being obeyed by uh, Christ's um, gospelers, his apostles. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, the risen Christ says to him, go, go to uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then go everywhere. So what we're seeing here is an expression of, obviously, biblical Christianity versus non-biblical Christianity. There are gobs of churches that call themselves churches that have nothing to do with the Bible. So when they tell you, this is what we believe, and these are our practices, and you break out your Bible, you're going to say, I don't see them in the Bible, because they're not using the Bible. So when we're looking at the Bible, and Jesus says to the guys, go, preach to Jews, preach to Gentiles, and the guys go out and preach to Jews and Gentiles, this is an expression of biblical Christianity. And what this teaches us, just generally, is biblical, this is a missionary endeavor. I, I know missionary labors um, sometimes are looked down upon as a form of colonialism. My wife being raised in India and coming from former Hinduism, if you do any kind of study, they have anti-conversion laws because they can consider trying to preach the gospel to Hindus a form of colonialism. That it's the white man's religion, the English taking over and all that kind of thing. And so they're against it. But Jesus Christ says, go out. And so if a civil magistrate says don't say, we have to say. So biblical Christianity uh, prospers missions. This is a form of evangelism. Again, macro view. What's going on with Cornelius? Cornelius is being evangelized. And the word evangelize is not a bad word. Evangel just means good news. Jesus is the good news. And Peter is the, is the gospel-er. He's, he's going to give the good news to Cornelius, who is a Gentile. And so uh, that's what we're looking at, the advance of the kingdom. And as we see this, a Gentile is a non-Jew. 
most of us don't think Jew-Gentile anymore, at least religiously. And even the term Gentile, sometimes we don't even know what we mean. A Gentile just means a non-Jew. And this whole business to us seems like old hat. Oh, yeah, telling people about Jesus. Everybody knows to tell people about Jesus. Gentiles? Telling Gentiles about this passage of lead, this is a preparation. God's preparing not only uh, not only Cornelius, but God is doing a work in Peter. Peter's a Jew, remember. So God the Holy Spirit's teaching Peter some stuff that he needs to repent of and he needs to change in order to be an effective Christian minister as regards to preaching the gospel to everybody. And so when we're looking at this and we think, oh, this is a nothing, just tell Gentiles. In Peter's day, if you went up to the ordinary Jew and said, you know, when God sends the Messiah in, he's going to save Gentiles. What would the Jews have said to you at this time? The Jews did say this, Luke chapter 4. Are you serious? We're going to kill you for saying that. He only loves us and he hates them. And if you say that he's going to have mercy on Gentiles, we're going to kill you for that. And you remember what happens on Pentecost? Some of us have spent time in Pentecostal churches. I've spent time in Pentecostal churches. And, and they do a thing called speaking in tongues. And I'm not getting into that per se. And they say it's a prayer language. And I think the Bible says it's a foreign language. But you remember in, is it uh, Acts chapter 2? What happens on Pentecost? So in Pentecost, Peter's preaching. And all of a sudden, the Jews that are there, what do they start doing? They start speaking the glories and the praises of God in what? In other tongues, but perfectly. And the Jews look around and say, what's going on? Aren't aren't these guys speaking? Uh, Aren't they Galileans? But we hear them, each of us hears them in their own language, praising God, the Arabians and all of these kind of things. What's going on there? What's happening when all of these various... All of these various people are praising the one God. God is showing over and over and over again, I mean to save from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. Where do we get languages to begin with? Where, where do we get all the, the, the multiple languages? Where do we see that in the Bible? Is it, is it uh, Genesis 11 with the, the Tower of Babel? Am I right with that? This, that Pentecost was a reversal of that. So all of the various languages where God sent the various languages to scramble so make it harder for men to become confederate against God. And, and now we see a reversal of that. But this lesson of God saving from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation to the ordinary Jew of Peter's day, even Peter, is a mind blower. And so we're going to just kind of spend a time to un- unpack that a little bit. I prayed it in my pastoral prayer. I can't climb into your head, but you climb into your head for a moment. Are there people that you don't necessarily like? I don't mean like, I don't know, some kid when you were like in junior high kicked you in the shins or something. I mean, are there people, classes of people that you go, ooh, please, don't touch the doorknob. I'm going to spray that with Lysol. Please, like, there's some class of people that you really think, you know what, I'm not really loving you all that much. This is meant as a corrective to that, that we need to not go, and of course we're in polite company. We would never say this, right? It's not like the northerner looks down on the southerner and the southerner looks down on the northerner, the white and the black looks down on the white and the black. Yes, all that occurs, but it shouldn't occur. I'm going to say this before I jump in. So, 
next Sunday is my 21 years here. <clears throat> and I get people that don't go to the church all the time, write me, send me stuff. And last, maybe six months ago, someone that wasn't a member, not he, they sent me something. Pastor, listen to this video. This guy is really, he's cutting edge. He's reformed. He's got some really insightful stuff. And will you listen to his video? And will you tell me where he's coming from? And I said, oh, man, really? Okay. And my wife's making dinner. We live in an open concept house. So I'm sitting there listening to this guy. He was from South Africa. And I didn't know what Christian nationalism was. I do now, but I didn't then. And I listened. And I'm like, this guy's racist. He, he's a racist. And he follows this kinist thing, kinism, kin family. And he's saying from Acts 6, the Jewish people got a Jewish deacon. <laughs> the, 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 the Gentile believers got a Gentile deacon. So black people should get a black minister and white people should get a white minister. And I'm like, I can't even believe I'm listening to this nonsense. And my wife is yelling at me, like, what are you listening? I'm texting the guy, what are you, you out of your mind? sending me this nonsense. Like, what do you think? Like, what do you, what do you mean? What, why am I taking five minutes listening to this garbage? But I'll tell you something, beloved. People listen to this. People that call themselves Christians listen to this. They, I have my little group, and then my little group, and Jesus like my little group, and he doesn't like your little group. Beloved, I do not know what you think. If you believe that, you you need to repent right now. You need to seriously repent right now. And the apostle Peter is going to get a lesson and God's going to say, hey, you think the Jews are the best and the Gentiles are like stuff in Miriam's trench? This guy's a Roman centurion. And Jesus says, I'm going to go save him. We need to hear this. So let's talk about the business of Jew-Gentile distinction. And I just mean... Well, here it's physical, but it's, let's talk about the place of uh, the Jews. In Peter's day, as I say, when God comes along and says, I'm going to save Gentiles, to us it's a nothing, to the Jews of, the, of this day it's a mind blower, because the Jews would say, we are God's people, and the Gentiles are not God's people. Now I want you to think about that. Are the Jews, would they be right in this instance? Would the, would the Jews be right to say, we are the people of God? And the Gentiles are not. They would be right. The Bible does say it. We're going to talk a little bit about that. So the Bible does say, and the Gentiles are not the people of God. In the Old Testament epoch, we're just in that crux right here. So I want you to think of what a Gentile is spiritually. Paul lays it out for us in Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 22. He says, a Gentile is a stranger to the covenants of God, He's a stranger to the peace of God. He's in the world. He's without God, and he has no hope. That's a Gentile. So who had, who had the law and the gospel in the Old Testament? Only Jews. So only the Jews were given the oracles and the ordinances of God to draw the people to Jesus Christ and to build it up in, in Christ. Only the Jews. And God did not give it to the Gentiles. So if you were a Jew in Peter's day, you could say to me, hey, Pastor John, I think you're wrong, and I, I'm going to read something to you. Uh, God says he, um, to, this to Moses you, concerning Israel. You are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession. Now listen to this. 
out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. So the Jew of Peter's day said, man, can't you read the Bible? He said he chose us, and he didn't choose them. He said it, and he did say it. Then he goes on to say this. The Lord did not... Now, this is key. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of the peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your fathers. All of these things are true. Father Abraham's the first Jew, and through him Isaac and Jacob, and then the 12 tribes... And what he says here, God does choose the Jews as a special people. He doesn't choose the Gentiles. All true. Now, another thing that would make what we're looking at, Gentile salvation, radical, radical, I would argue this, real Christianity, which is Bible Christianity, but believed, um, is radical formalistic Christian, kind of lukewarm, Sunday going to meeting, yes, I believe, we say the Apostles' Creed, this is nothing. It doesn't do anything. Um, Real Christianity, I believe in Jesus, the Bible is my rule for faith and practice, and I mean by all my strength to live it out, you're a radical. Radical, radical, radical. You you will swim against the stream, against the the world, and against the church, because the better part of the church is going with the world. And so when we look at this and go, this is radical. What's so radical about it? Think of not only were the Jews God's people, the Gentiles not. What were the Gentiles to the Jews at this time? Who's Cornelius? He's a Roman. Who were the Jews? Under the jackboot of the Romans. The Gentiles were historically the enemies of God and the enemies of God's people. Think of um, uh, the the, uh, Egyptian captivity. Gentiles. For 430 years, subjugating, enslaving the people of God for 430 years. And then think of the Babylonian captivity. And now here we're at the Roman captivity. What would the ordinary Jew think of the ordinary Roman, particularly a Roman official, at this time? What would you think about them? What would you think? You would think they were an oppressor. You would think that they were an enslaver. And guess what? You were right. And now God comes along and says, see that? I'm going to save that person. You're going to save the people that enslave and oppress me? Yep. Do you like that? Do you like when God does something good to someone that you hate? No, you don't. That's our flesh. We want good things to happen to people we like, and we don't want good things to happen to people we don't like. That's just the fact of it. And it's sin. And God says, well, my ways are not your ways. My ways are my ways. God is so much more loving than we are. And we should praise God for it because we're on our way to heaven because of it. So we see this truth. What happens with this truth when it's, when it's not coupled by faith? Our flesh perverts the truth of God's word. And given the truthfulness of what we just said, Uh, that the Jews were God's people and the Gentiles were not God's people and the Gentiles were the enemies of God's people. The Jews thought that, in this time, that their place before God was in part due to their inherent Jewishness-ness. That their racial, I'm going to have to hyphenate it, racial, cultural identity, something like that. And that gave them their religious superiority. So they thought it was something in them. You remember how they put this to Jesus or to John the Baptist? We are children of Abraham. We're not these like 
Gentile schlubs. We're children of Abraham. And then, then they would go around what? And not only that, we're disciples of Moses. We're Jews. In the Old Testament, they would say, we're not Gentiles. We have the temple. Now, what they're taking is a truth of God and they're misunderstanding it. They're perverting it. They're looking at the externals, as I hope to show. So they're starting to think, well, we are God's people because there's something about us that's better than them. So it's that racial slash slash cultural distinction. We are God's chosen because of our particular race or because of our particular distinction. And they are not the chosen because they are of a different race, cultural distinction. Even though the passage I just read from the book of Deuteronomy, God says the exact opposite. He says, I didn't love you because of anything and choose you because of anything in you. Why did God say? I loved you because of something in me. Why does Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, Jesus loves you. Why does Jesus love you? Let's say there's not a, another person out there who's not a Christian and he doesn't know the salvific love of Christ at that moment. Why does he love you and not them? Because you're better than the other person? It's, some, it's something in him. But you see, people with, with a Bible could go, yeah, yeah, no, it's something in me. We are better and they are worse. That's a perversion of the truth. And what, what, what is being rectified for Peter and for, for, for the church is, is to correct that, that aptness to perversion. We all have this. Everybody has this. I'm three quarters Irish and a quarter German. And if you go back to the land of my birth in Boston, anything Irish, it's like they're bowing down. Anything Irish. It's just like if you have a brogue, you instantly go up on the, I mean, you know, if you have a cousin fresh off the boat, they instantly get the thumbs up if they have a brogue. And, and we do this all over the lot. And God's coming along and saying, this is going to, this is going to, you're going to start reading the truth of God and perverting the truth of God because of this inclination to this notion. Now, in Christ's day, what was it common to refer to Gentiles as? Not a very nice term, by the way. I think in Hindi, it's kutta, kutta, my wife taught me. Dog, it's a street dog. It's like a cur. It's not like your little dog at the house that you spend like $10,000 on. It's just some nasty, some nasty dog. And they would say to the Gentile, and you're the Jew, we're Jews, you're Gentiles, you're a dog. Not a very nice thing, by the way. These are the people that Jesus is going to save. A mind blower. And not only would they, the Jews developed at this time, read Mark chapter 7, 1 through 14. They developed extra biblical, which means not Bible, Religious strictures, which means man-made laws. People, unconverted people love man-made religion. In the church, out of the church, they love it. They don't like Bible religion because it gets at our heart too much. But they like man-made religion. And what they did is they would say, well, if we go into the marketplaces and we bump places, we, we inadvertently hit a Gentile with our elbow. We come back to the house and we have to richly purify ourselves lest the Gentiles make us unclean. And because we, we are clean, and if I, I, I rub shoulders with one, they make me unclean. And we'll think, well, people wouldn't do that. I mentioned my wife again. When she was in India, she had one grandmother that had special plates and pots, if any Christian, and they were Hindus, who came over to the house because she didn't want the Christians to contaminate the Hindus by touching anything. Well, everybody does this. 
in the flesh. In the flesh. And before you think, oh, isn't that cute from India? Isn't that cute from... No, no, no. I, this just happened from people that have been in this church. Like sitting under my ministry, sending me, what do you think about this guy in kinism? I think you're out of your mind and you need to repent is what I think. <laughs> Read the Bible. Jesus sends Peter to save Cornelius, a Gentile, a Roman officer. In the... So one of the things with... Um, these extra strictures um, that allow people to believe unbiblical things is those extra strictures man-made religion is only externals and I do want you to think of this unconverted people in the church and they're gobs of them and unconverted people obviously outside of the church they love religion of externals everything's light uh, uh, rites r-i-t-e-s ceremonies like the church of my youth, bing bong, the incense, the whole nine yards, and all of that, right? And we think, oh, yeah, that's where it's at. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, towards the very end of the chapter, you know what that does for your inside? Can it affect your standing towards God? It does nothing. That's why men love it. That's why men love ritualism and sacramentalism and formalism. Because it lets them alone. You can play religious, but at the same time, you can live according to your sin. And so God is coming along. Jesus does this. He clears away the rubbish that's happened in the household of faith. These Jews with the Bible were living like the Bible was lost. Who was the guy who, in the Old Testament? The Bible was, the law of God was lost. Was it Hilkiah something? And he finds the law. Beloved, that kid sitting on his little YouTube video to, to doing Christian nationalism and he's saying he's a reformed Christian, I guarantee you he has a Bible in the house. That's like not having a Bible. It shows me that you don't read the Bible, that you don't believe the Bible, and you don't obey the Bible. And then now you're doing what? You're teaching people. <laughs> people are listening. It's an, it's an interesting thing. Is it easier to catch a cold or to catch health? Sickness is way easier to catch then health is way harder to like teach someone to be healthy you walk around people with bad habits the next thing you know everybody has a bad habit it's like that with false religion bam everybody man i gotta get the notes on that one versus teaching the truth people think yeah i don't know about that loving people black white red yellow rich poor yeah i don't know about that pastor john see what i mean but God the Holy Spirit's doing a work in Cornelius. God the Holy Spirit's doing a work in the Apostle Peter. And God the Holy Spirit's doing a work in us to, to be profuse with the gospel, to go everywhere with the gospel. That's the macro lesson that's going on. Now, is this Gentile salvation, even though it was a stunner, should it have been a stunner to the Jews? Is it a brand new thing that only comes up in the New Testament? that God means to save Gentile people. No. For time's sake, I'm not going to go there, but I'll just reference it. Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, Genesis 28. In Abraham's seed, all of the families of the earth shall be what? Blessed. Who's Abraham's seed? Galatians chapter 3. Jesus. In Abraham's seed, Jesus, all, stress all, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Families. Nations, goyim, I heard that my whole life in, in Boston. The goy, goyim is plural, goy is singular, means you're a Gentile. 
all of the goyim, all of the nations shall be blessed. Is Isaiah 45? Come unto me, all ye ends of the what? Earth. And be saved. So from the first book of the, so for the Jew it would be like, what is this Gentile salvation? This is a new, this is a New Testament thing. Oh no, it isn't. This is an Old Testament thing. It's as old as the gospel promise. It runs through the whole Bible that God has promised to save Gentiles, to graft them into the Jews, to make us the Israel of God. God has promised. Was, was there any Gentile salvation even in the Old Testament that you could think of? Where, where's the genealogical record of Jesus in the New Testament? What, what do you got? Um, is it Matthew 1, yeah, Luke 2, or Luke 3? I, I forget. But Matthew 1, certainly. There are a couple of ladies in Christ's genealogy, which means they're in David's genealogy, that were Gentiles. That every Jew should have said, they're clearly saved. The first one, her name is Rahab. What was Rahab? Every time you mash in Rahab in your Bible search, it's going to go Rahab the something. What is she? She's a prostitute. But she's not a prostitute anymore. Why would you say Rahab the prostitute? Christ saves prostitutes. He saves... I thought, that's disgusting. You sell your body for money and Jesus is going to actually wash you clean and save you and take you to heaven. And you're a disgusting prostitute. Yeah. Yeah. Rahab the prostitute. Yeah. She, she is a... Rahab the prostitute, clearly a believer, uh, clearly a believer. Um, she is the great, great grandmother of David. And she is in what? She's in the great hall of faith. She's in Hebrews chapter 11. And then she's one of the ladies used in James chapter 2, 14 through 26 to show you what living faith looks like. God says, okay, Jews, you want to see who an incredible believer is? Rahab the prostitute. What? Now, she's not an active prostitute, but she's a forgiven prostitute. She's in Christ's lineage. She comes, she's in David's lineage. Who's the other woman that was a Gentile in David's lineage and Christ's lineage? Ruth. And so Rahab is a Canaanitess. She's a Gentile. And then uh, Ruth is what? What is Ruth? Like ethnically? She's a Moabitess. Moabite, the Moabites worshipped a god named Chemosh. For a Jew to hear that God is going to save people that worship Chemosh, that take their babies and run them through the fire and kill them? No way. These, what should happen to a woman that offers her baby as a sacrifice to a demon and kills the baby? What should happen to that person? Clearly, if you kill your baby, you, sh- you, you yourself should be thrown off a bridge, Right? God's going to save them. Ruth. Read Ruth. So you, you have a Canaanitess, you have a Moabitess in the lineage of, of David, which means in the lineage of Jesus. So, beloved, the, only, the notion of pure race, which, this is just Gentile inclusion, but it's all of the various This guy's just a species of what Christ is busy doing. When you look around, I love like I love accents and I'm always trying to where's this guy from where's that and I'm, I love to hear that I love different looks and 
this is so cool how God is. I just love it. I just, it's the way that God has made me. If you, the notion of pure race, biblically now, biblically, if you're a Christian, which I hope you are, with a Bible, I hope you are, the notion of race is ridiculous. It's like pure race. Like, we're the pure race. What are you talking about, pure race? You have a Canaanite, a Moabitess, in the line of David, a Jew, in the line of Jesus, the king of the Jews. There's no such thing as pure race. How do I know that? We all come from how many folk? Two of them. You're all kin. We're all kin. So when this guy's going, hey, want to study kinism? I'll give you the biblical kinism. You're either in Christ <laughs> and you're, we're all kin in Jesus, or you're out of Christ and you're kin with the people out of Christ. That's it. Two families. That's what you got. And you know, you think, well, really? Do we need to hear this? We need to hear this. Churches are hyphenated all over the place. Now, I've gone way too long. Let's talk a little bit about um, Cornelius. I've already talked about that he's a Gentile. Some people have said this is the first instance of Gentile salvation. I'm not sure about that. There's a guy I really like that says that. I don't like to differ with him. Um, Samaritans are not Gentiles. I know 2 Kings 7, 17. They're kind of Jews plus Gentiles mixed up. But remember, didn't Jesus in John chapter 4 save a Samaritan woman? And he said, woman, salvation is of the what? Jews. He said, we worship what we know. You all worship what you don't know, meaning that you're not a Jew. She's a Gentile. And she was saved. And then there was an instance, even in the book of Acts that we've already looked at thus far, Acts chapter 8. There's a guy from what country? Ethiopia. Now, I don't want to pick in on anybody. Here is a guy from Ethiopia. He doesn't come from Connie Cork, right? And he believes in the Lord. And if a guy who comes from a county court believes in the Lord, what are those two guys? They're brothers. They're brothers' brothers. And so God saves that Ethiopian eunuch. I think that guy's a Gentile, and he's saved. What we're looking at here, really, the door is going to be flung wide open to the gospel going to the Gentiles. That's what Cornelius is representing, that the gospel going to the four corners is beginning in earnest. We're going to look at a few chapters concerning Peter, but we, we have hit, he's a Gentile, he's converted. Uh, I, I've mentioned before, he's a centurion. Oh, I used to know this better. Centurion is a Roman military thing. He is the leader of 100 guys. I think it's 100. If you know this, if you have a study Bible, you can correct me later. I think he, he's a commander of 100 guys cohort is like 480 guys a legion I think a full legion is 6,000 don't hold me on that but here we're coming along God's going to talk to this guy who is a Roman centurion he's a military commander Uh, he's he's in the army and God is going to be saving this particular guy I mentioned it earlier if you had gone up to a Jew in Nazi Germany and said, you know, you see that German guard over there that's guarding you? I think Jesus is going is to save that guy. Jesus is going to save that guy that's guarding you. I want you to think of this. I want you to think of this. That idea of like folks that we kind of like and we kind of want them to know Jesus. And there are folks 
that we kind of don't like and we kind of hope never to see them again. Um, this would be one of them. Um, this would be a guy like that. And Jesus is saying, this is the guy that I'm going to save. Now, this is an interesting guy because he's called a, a God-fearer. There are two words, and I can't be precise in this, but I'll just give you the general idea. A God-fearer and a proselyte. A God-fearer in the Bible, and you see it listed a couple times, Acts 2, Acts 10 here, Acts 13. Uh, a God-fearer is a Gentile that believed in the Lord. He was hoping for the Messiah to come, but he didn't get circumcised, therefore he couldn't take the Lord's Supper. Uh, but he believed in the Lord. But he, he didn't go so... He didn't want to convert to become a Jew. And a proselyte was a Gentile who believed in the Lord. He hoped for the Messiah to come, but he was circumcised. Therefore, he could take the Lord's Supper, and therefore, essentially, he became a Jew. A Jew, properly understood, is not just physical, it's spiritual. At the end of Romans 2, the very end of Romans chapter 2, a true Jew, like a true Christian, is one in the heart. You can call anybody anything. I'm a Jew, I'm a Jew, good, good for you. I'm a, Gentile, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, good for you. But if you just write Christian on a person, I mean, I could stick a, a, a cat in the church, it doesn't make the cat a Christian. When we use the term Christian, we mean go to heaven, know God, love Jesus, and are loved by him. We don't just mean a formalist. So you can be a formal Jew after the flesh, but not one who loves God, who loves Christ, who loves people. Same thing is true for Christians. So people think, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. Do you love Jesus? Yeah, Jesus is an interesting concept. What about sin? I love sin. What about holiness? I'm not really loving holiness. Well, he's, well that's not a Christian. So a true Christian, a true Jew is of the, uh, in the heart. This guy, though he has not been circumcised, he is a God-fearer. And so we're seeing faith. I don't know whether he, I actually think he's praying for the coming of the Messiah because when the, the angel says to him, your prayers have been heard and send for Sent for Christ's servant. This is much like, who was the guy? Simeon. In Luke chapter 2. He's praying to see the Christ. And he says, your prayers have been heard. And you're going to see the Christ. This guy is praying, 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 praying. And the angel says, your prayers are going to be heard. Send for Christ's servant. Your prayers are answered. I want to say a few things about this guy just by way of example. So it says he's devout. And he says he leads his whole family in, in, in worship of the Lord. And he's a praying man. There's a, a couple of places in Scripture that says, believing Gentiles are meant to provoke unbelieving Jews to jealousy. This guy, with almost zilto privileges, spiritually speaking, he, if he were a Roman of this day, what was your religion? You're a pagan. And you had pagan religion, and you didn't have true religion. Now, here's a guy that starts to hear about the Lord. He hears about God. He believes in God. How did he hear about God? He's ruling over God's people. It's like the jailer healing that they're, hearing that there's salvation in Christ. Where did he heal that? Hear that? That's Acts chapter 16. Because he's the jailer over, over Paul. So God in his providence has him hear of God. He now obviously has a measure of faith. And he leads his own household. This guy as I say, is meant to, I think, shame the Jews. He is loving God and seeking God and praying to God as a Gentile and the Jews are not. And he's leading his whole household in worship and they are not. As a brief pastoral application, 
I think this guy convicts many Christian um, husbands and dads. He's leading his, his it says, he, he, he's a guy. Men are males, males are men. There, I said it. Okay. And he's leading his household. Sex is gender, gender is sex. I said it again. Okay. And he's leading his household in, in worship. He is leading his household in worship. Beloved, and he, and he says it continuously. Sunday go to meeting Christianity is easy. You take it on and off like a coat. Real Christianity, real faith, is who you are at the house. It's who it's who you are with the kids. We can be like, oh yeah, hey pastor, how's everything going? Oh praise God, I've been praying so much. It's ridiculous. And do we fool our kids? Your kids at the house know exactly what you believe religiously. You could be amening all well, Presbyterians don't amen, but. You could be amening all over the place at the Presbyterian Church, and your kid's going, you know, you're not doing that at the house. You're not even going to say the name Jesus. We are what we are religiously every single day of the week. We are what we are before our children religiously. And notice he, and this is men, I think, husbands and dads, you should be leading your family in worship. Who, who usually re- leads the family in worship? I'm not picking on anybody. I really am not. Who usually leads the Christian households in worship? Who? The real leader of the house. Mom. This guy is meant to convict all of Like, look at him. He's leading worship. That's true faith. And this is not beating up on anybody. When, you see, when we see ourselves falling short, what, would she do? what, what should we do? God, help me. Help me to do better. And so this guy is meant to excite us to faith, to lead our families and wives and families in and, and things of religion. And he's a praying guy. And I'm going to... Just like Sunday go to meeting, Christianity is nothing. Formal Christianity is nothing. A prayerless Christian. I'm going to talk to everybody in the room. If you are a Christian, if you say you're a Christian and you do not pray, boy, howdy. I wish you would. There's no such thing as a Christian that doesn't pray. I'm not talking, you know, you're sick as a dog and you can't even squeak out a word or you go a couple of days and you're, you're, you're so slammed at school or work. I'm talking pray, pray. This says he prays what? Once when he goes to church? Continuously. The Christian life begins, real Christians begin with prayer. Thou son of David, what? Have mercy on me. And then the life of a Christian, every single day, we pray What? Our Father which art in heaven, give me my daily what? My daily food, my daily forgiveness, my daily perfection from the devil. Daily. And a true Christian life ends in prayer. How does it end? Lord Jesus Christ, receive my spirit. This is meant to correct prayerless Jews. But this is meant to correct prayerless Christians. I know for a fact Forget about the, the, the crazy racists that call themselves Christians. Way more professing Christians don't pray. So this is meant to, like, boy, oh, is it I, Lord? Please forgive me. And so he's praying, and the angel says, you, God has heard your prayer, and he's going to send you to a, a servant of Jesus. 
this guy is going to get a servant of Jesus, Peter, to tell him specifically Christ has come. Why? Because he's been praying for that. Well, that what are you a Calvinist, Pastor John? No, I, I'm a total Calvinist. I, yes, I am. So how does prayer work with the sovereignty of God? I don't have any idea, but I know that it does. Well, I, I, I want stuff like, I want my cousin Bob to hear about Jesus, and how come God, are you praying about it? No, actually, I don't pray. The Bible says in James chapter 4, you do not have because what? You don't ask. And what do we see Peter doing? He's praying. And I, I guarantee you, I, I can at least get close to what he's praying. His whole purpose in life as an apostle is what? He's a living witness for Jesus. That's his whole job. He lives to testify of Christ. Lord, make me a better servant. Use me, Lord. Use me. And God says, I'm going to answer your prayer. I'm going to send you to a Gentile. A Gentile. I'm going to send you to a Gentile. Will you go? And what does he do? He goes. And he does that vision. And in the vision, it's the unclean fluids, but it's teaching about the people. And God says to him this, don't call unclean what I call holy. Beloved, we all need that. You know, the guy that sent me that obnoxious video, I'm not better than that guy. And if I look down at him, I'm just doing the same thing that he's doing to other people, looking down at other people. We all need that. We all need that. We should ask the Holy Spirit, are there people that are so gross to me that I don't even want to tell them about Jesus? Are there? I'll say one personal example, and then I promise I'll quit. I was a carpet cleaner for 10 years, and I witnessed everybody when I cleaned carpets. And I went to a home, and it was a gay guy. And he was living with another gay guy. And they were flamboyant. And I thought, oh, boy. And I was cleaning the carpet, and I felt the Holy Spirit wanted me to tell them about Jesus. And I thought, oh, Lord, I don't want to tell this guy about Jesus because the sin was so offensive to me. So I finally thought, well, I will. So I said to the guy, hey, look, it, I'm a Christian, and I think the Holy Spirit wants me to tell you about Jesus. And then the, one of the boyfriends took off and went outside, and the guy said, you can save your breath. I was raised a fundamental Baptist. And he and I chatted, and I shared the gospel, and I, I remember saying to him, I said, you know, couldn't you pick a better sin? He said, what do you mean? I was a drunk and a womanizer. And so I said, well, couldn't you pick a better one, like being a drunk and a womanizer? That's not so gross to me. But your sin is gross. That's a sin for me. It's a sin to think my heterosexual fornication is better than his homosexual fornication. And Jesus can save heterosexual fornicators, but he can't save homosexual fornicators. That's wrong. And we're not useful instruments until we're ready to go anywhere to anybody. And God's in the process of getting us to learn this is a grace business beloved Christ saves sinners may God be pleased with the preaching of his word